0: The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, T.J. Reeves. We are back in and rolling along with the latest edition of the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Hello there, and we are ready to mix it up on several fronts. Just how good was Tyson Fury in that win last Saturday night in Las Vegas in a heavyweight non-title fight? Was it more about glitz, glamour, and sizzle than it was big punching against an important opponent? I think we all know the answer to that. I'm going to enlist the help of some special guests on this edition of the podcast. In fact, Marquise Johns and I will uh, tag team an interview with Christina Poncher of Top Rank and ESPN's coverage of the Sweet Science Christina will tell her story a little bit. She's been with Top Rank almost a decade and is now breaking uh, trends and making history in terms of being a female uh, doing boxing play-by-play on network TV. So we're going to talk to her about her story. She was there in Vegas uh, for the win by Fury, the second round knockout that most expected. We're going to talk to her about that and about upcoming fight cards on Top Rank later in June And much more. So we look forward to talking with her. Marquise and I will both interview her. You'll hear that conversation from a little earlier in the week here uh, in just a few moments. Also, later on in the podcast, David Payne is back, the boxing writer from the UK under the moniker The Boxing Writer on Twitter, website boxingwriter.co.uk. Look forward to what he has to say about uh, Britain's own Tyson Fury and his uh, his latest endeavor in the United States and his first fight for top rank and when will we see a battle uh, upcoming with Deontay Wilder. Also love David's insight, too, on the historical perspective of uh, of the fight scene as he's a contemporary of mine. I want to talk some Roberto Duran. This is one of the things we have with the BigFightWeekend.com website as we go back in time, go back in history to some to some great fights, One is a great memory for Duran as uh, almost 40 years ago on Thursday night of this week, Duran, June 20th, 1980, derailed Sugar Ray Leonard's unbeaten professional career, handing him his first loss in Montreal. So we detailed that on BigFightWeekend.com. But a couple of weeks ago, about a week and a half ago, Duran suffered A devastating loss, a one-punch KO, essentially, from Thomas Hitman Hearns. That one in June of 1984, moving forward four years from the defeat of Leonard. Duran was knocked out in Las Vegas. So uh, We covered those on BigFightWeekend.com, and I want to hear from David Payne about the career of Roberto Duran, what he thought, the historical perspective... All of that and more. And then Marquise Johns will round out the show. He'll come back with me. We'll share some thoughts on ESPN's coverage and their incessant, over-the-top hyping of Tyson Fury in that fight last night. You would have thought that Fury was stepping through the ropes with Ali, Tyson, and Lennox Lewis at the same time. The way that ESPN was hyping a fight against a journeyman, tomato can-type European fighter. I know ESPN has to sell it, but Marquise and I are going to talk more about that. More about Fury's next fight as well, where that will be. Where is the Ruiz-Joshua rematch, the heavyweight title rematch, going to be headed for this fall? And then Marquise will lay out the fights that we can uh, pay attention to, at least somewhat, for this weekend, including the PBC show on Fox, Premier Boxing Champions, where they've had to have an injury substitute for Jermell Charlo. Charlo was supposed to revenge rematch for his title. Tony Harrison, the champion at 154, is injured, can't fight, got a late injury replacement so uh we will we will talk more about that fight with marquise later on in the show let's get everything rolling as uh, as boxing is rolling along here through the summer let's get going on this edition of the podcast here we go marquise we've got a special guest from top rank and espn christina poncher is here with us uh great great get by you by the way uh is it been borderline stalking marquise for you to get this interview done how did you get this accomplished marquise
1: uh, pull some strings. I'm, I promised not through the window, but I did go through the proper channel.
0: <laughs> That's good that you made that occasion, Christina. Good to have you here on the podcast.
2: Thank you for having me. And he did not peek through any windows or climb through <laughs> any air conditioning ducts or anything. So because I will not because
0: you would way. have He's decked good to him <laughs> with a right hook and a left and a left to the body and then an uppercut if that had been uh the case okay so fans know about you those that don't more and more are finding out about you especially through social media tell us a little bit about how and why you got involved with top rank and with boxing
2: um well i got involved with top rank and boxing about nine years ago when the promoter was really looking to develop their social media channels and on video content on YouTube, etc. I was working for Fox Sports in Los Angeles and hadn't covered boxing before, but got recommended through a friend um, when they got wind of, of the fact that they were looking for kind of a, a sports reporter personality, etc. So um, I was working full-time at Fox, having a desk job in addition to doing um, reporting for college basketball and high school football. So I started, you know, covering press conferences on my lunch break. Anytime they were in downtown LA where we used to have a lot of press conferences and know going from there but my family was fight fans growing up I was I probably what you call a casual boxing fan I wasn't into it um you know as much when I started but it was definitely something where I learned a lot on the job and having come from a sports background and already having interviewed athletes and things like that I had the skill set it was just a matter of learning the the subject matter and I mean it's I've I've been hooked ever since and these nine years have just flown by from interviewing fighters to hosting press conferences to Hosting pre-shows on a pay-per-view, and now I'm color commentator and and blow-by-blow, blow, and I m- would have never imagined that when I first started, you know, nine years ago. So it's it's been an awesome journey.
1: In regards to your journey, Christine, and uh, you mentioned the word press conferences, and you were there for this weekend for Tyson Fury versus Tom Suarez. The man went on the, the away and eating his stickers. Uh, explain to us, everyone the spectacle and the the excitement around the fight that that happened this past weekend.
2: You know, it was so crazy that it was definitely a first for me in, in all nine years. I've never had a fighter walk into the press conference, go up on the stage, pick up the mic, and just start hosting himself. I mean, he's just <laughs> <I'm still laughs> finishing my notes. You know, I'm getting my note cards together, making sure, okay, who's going to be on the stage, this representative. And he just walked in. I'm like, I'm standing up, but like, I'm not ready yet. Like, the cameras weren't ready, but, you know, it's the, it's the Tyson Fury show. So he calls uh, Tom up there and him in. Tom and then he calls Bob up there and they just start rapping and talking and saying, you know, press conferences will never be the same. And I said, well, I get paid the same either way. So if you guys just want to take it away, I'm <laughs> totally fine with that. But, um, you know, they had some fun and and then we got up there and, and got things in order. But it was kind of like that, you know, all week anytime he walked into a room, you know, other than his suit, um, you know, his clothing announcing itself before he opened his mouth. I mean, he just would take over any space that that he was in but um he was a joy to work with as was tom personality was was bigger than life and you know what what impressed me the most too was the fact that not only was he on time for every interview everything he was early for everything that we set up and i work with a lot of big stars in boxing i've you know covered pacquiao mayweather working with you know manny pacquiao for several years miguel Cotto, et etc and this this caliber of a star um you know, to be as prompt and professional as he was when the time called for it was was absolutely a joy and, and was a big surprise. So that was a, a big takeaway for us media people who, you know, run things on a tight schedule. But it was a crazy week. And I think he, he you know, obviously fought in the United States before with a wilder fight. But going to Vegas and taking over the weight he did, um, I mean, I think he's found a new home, that's for sure
0: that begs the follow-up question at what point did you know he was going to go full on Apollo creed from Rocky 4 with the top <laughs> hat the trunks and yeah. come into James Brown living in America how soon before that happened did you know it was going to well, happen no
2: we we have the <laughs> <laughs> well uh, we have the the benefit of when we're in these ESPN production meetings we have you know rundown meetings and rehearsals and everything has to be set up so i think about two days before the fight we had an idea of what he was going to do and um how we were going to kind of cover it and announce it because we're involved with the directors and the camera angles and how you know joe Tess was going to intro it or whatnot so i think we had about you know at least uh, maybe maybe the the arena people and and people above my head knew before but i think about two days before i had an idea i didn't they didn't really rehearse it with him so i was like hopefully it all works out but i knew what he was going to do and it was executed beautifully it was it was awesome to see
1: uh in regards to the fight with fear I'll, I'll leave i ask one last final question on it because the fight ended with a second down second round knockout and was pretty much short work in regards for fury uh, the rumor mill and the uh, speculation of next fight for Fury. Have you heard anything out of the ordinary? Uh, the names I've heard—I uh, don't know if you heard this week—Jarrell uh, Miller, out of all things, and correct. Uh, Pulev. Have you, have you heard anything on your end? Uh,
2: those are the same names that that I heard. Uh, Pulev, I heard first, and then Miller, I think, um, more recently. But we'll have to see how things pan out with suspensions, etc. Obviously, and Pulev as well. I mean, he couldn't be in California. He's had his license suspended for the incident from his last fight. So I'm not really sure, but I did hear recently um Helen Yee did an interview with Bob Arum the other day and Bob told her that he'd be up for going straight into the Wilder fight next. Um I don't know with Wilder having already announced the rematch with Ortiz if that's gonna indeed be possible if contract were signed there or if Fury would just sit out until Wilder was ready. But I know he did mention now he thought he'd maybe need another fight before it but I think he's high on the wave and, and the buzz that was created um, in Vegas this past week. But I have heard those same two names, and I did hear him mention late September or October for another fight before maybe the January rematch. So a lot of things up in the air right now, but I, I, I have heard the same things that you have. So we'll just kind of wait and see how it plays out over the next you know month or so.
0: A few more minutes with Christina Poncher here with us from Top Rank and ESPN as part of the Big Fight Weekend uh, podcast, and we've been talking about Tyson Fury and uh, and him selling and ESPN selling big time. Uh, Fury's uh, win okay. and his ob- obviously upcoming next fight uh, that will be either in late September or in October uh, is the belief. But we've heard too that I mean the the rumor too is Madison Square Garden might be the spot. Suddenly the Garden is hot again with the Joshua upset, the Golovkin fight. And maybe maybe it's fury takes the garden next Christina, who knows?
2: Yeah, I, I think I think you you're on track with that. I, I although Vegas I think is a place where he'll he'll continue to fight, I'm hearing also East Coast possibly Madison Square Garden. So Bob loves big fights and big fight venues. he has a lot of history with the garden and um, yeah so I think, I think that's very very well possible for, for the fall
1: all right
0: a couple more then we're gonna let, we're gonna let you get out of here hey one on play by play because you you are trailblazing there are not a lot of females that have done or do boxing play by play what is that like for you how do how did you find it uh in terms of the experience what about doing play by play real quick
2: yeah, I mean it's crazy. Only the second woman ever to do it, um, and for me, obviously in English, uh, where Claudia Trejos was the first to do, to do it in Spanish and some in English. But it it really was an opportunity that was posed to me um, from Top Rank. I've been doing color commentary for the past you know seven years with them, and it is a different beast hopping into that number one chair and trying to call punches. I mean, it's easy when you see things on replay, but it's the only sport that I you know that I've worked with individual sport that you know you it's not like you can tell what the down and distance is or it's not like there's time to set up a play in the half court you know like basketball you have to try to call things as you see it and it it takes a lot of practice and I'm just getting my feet wet but being able to work alongside you know Rich Murata and Bob Sheridan and you know Bruce Beck and these guys that are legends in the game I, I've learned a lot I still have a long way to go but um you know if those people can get past the fact that it's a woman voice I feel like you know, I'm, I'm just as qualified as any other male to do it that, that hasn't boxed a day in their life either. You know, so um, I'm working my way, but I, I definitely think it's it's a great niche. And I continue I look forward to continuing to blaze that trail so that women coming up, you know, that are younger than me or that are watching the sport or, you know, can, can say and have aspirations of, of being in that role one day, something that I didn't when I was young.
1: Uh, speaking of uh, next uh, fights coming up, you mentioned that you're calling the undercard. I, in fact, you're calling the undercard for uh, June, June 28th at the place I haven't been in a long time in beautiful Temecula where I saw rock and ride out get knocked up by James Tony for the uh, Richard <laughs> Comey of Ray Beltran fight. Can you, can you elaborate on what's going on with that card?
2: yeah so um that card is taking place on a friday night which is if you live anywhere near california southern california you are not happy with a friday night fight <laughs> out in the middle <laughs> of nowhere
1: christina, for yeah. Yeah. christina's
0: leaving in about 20 minutes for the traffic for june 28th go ahead christina
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> you're not you're not joking so fortunately i have the benefit of, of being able to have a room and i'll probably you know drive there the day before and just stay but um you got in the, in the co-main event that's going to be on ESPN, uh, a 154-pound contest with Carlos Adamas against Pat Day, Patrick Day. That should be a good fight. And then on the undercard, some of the fights I'm calling include, like, Neno Rodriguez, El Rodriguez. Um, and then there's the Elvis Rodriguez. Any if Your name is Rodriguez. You're on this card. Um, we have <laughs> Christopher, the Christopher Zavala. David Kaminsky, so some really good young local talent on the card, and um, yeah, I mean, I think it's ten fights total, eight on the undercard, and then two main events. So if you're in that area, you're going to get your money's worth if you can get there early enough in the traffic to see some of these early bouts. If not, like you mentioned, we got you covered on ESPN Plus.
0: Love that. All right, Christina, we got to run. Uh, we always love insight from people that are hopping on here where can the fans follow you social media and otherwise and keep up with you besides just calling the fights for top rank and for ESPN
2: yeah I'm on Instagram and Twitter it's just by my name at Christina Ponsher C-R-Y-S-C-I-N-A. so follow me I often ask for you know thoughts and and, um, you know that I'll share on the air so I'm definitely interactive with my fans so Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate
0: it. He is back with us. I am thrilled to go across the pond and get the insight, the analysis of the boxing writer, the UK's David Payne, waxing eloquently here on this podcast, but also writing at his site, boxingwriter.co.uk. And we've got plenty to discuss here, in particular Tyson Fury's expected easy win from last weekend. First of all, good to be with you. I know it's a little later in the evening where you are, so thank you for accommodating me on this edition of the podcast. How are things, David Payne?
3: Oh, very good here, TJ. Good to hear from you again. Um, I've finished my English tea and tea cake supper, so I am ready to go for the uh, Big Fire weekend podcast.
0: Okay, so Fury finished off his tea cake, which is better known as Tom Schwartz and whatever that was last Saturday night. Uh, okay, I'm kind of tainting it at this point. Uh it was easy by anybody's analysis and estimation, but give me your uh your thoughts having watched that last Saturday night, from Ring Walk as Apollo Creed in Rocky Four to easy knockout win. What did you make of it?
3: Have you stopped grinning yet, T J? That's that's the question. <laughs> He's Mr. Entertainment, isn't he? It was uh it was a brilliant Card he played with the whole Apollo Creed thing, and uh, few people could pull it off with the same aplomb and kind of twinkling his eye that Tyson Fury could do it. Um, just a remarkable show, which he was he commentated on to the British press that uh, that we saw this side of the Atlantic um, that he wanted to put on a show. We knew that Top Rank and his handlers had picked Swartz for that role to enable him to deliver a knockout performance in all likelihood and that's what we got and it was devastating and he showed an edge and a willingness to really hurt someone and put him away and not kind of let let things linger which um, meant that that, that that stays that becomes something strong in your mind that builds a narrative that he can punch as well as duck and dive and bob and bob and weave so that was all great but it delivered everything that it was set out to do it might seem a little cynical because the quality of the opponents, as we have discussed uh, prior a few weeks ago, is not where we'd like it to be. But um, it was the boxers ticked in terms of introducing him wholeheartedly to that American audience, and he ticked every single American box. And hopefully he's, um, he's got many more people behind his pi- Piper tune, and uh, we, will, uh, we will go forward to, a, to another fight in October, I believe, and then on to the Wilder, which, whilst a few months away still, is looking ever more likely, I think, at this point.
0: Yeah, that's, that's the big one that's looming out there, and we've already kind of touched on earlier in the podcast, don't laugh, you're talking about me snickering and smiling, that Jarrell Miller's name is being kicked around, and potentially, don't laugh, a second time, Madison Square Garden in October. Now, there's this whole drug suspension thing that has to be overcome and then again, it could be uh, any number of other fighters that, that, he, could, uh, that he could fight. I, I put it to you like this. It, it is obvious, isn't it? This has got to be better caliber of competition, this go-around, because Schwartz offer, offered very little, uh, got a bl- bloody, if not broken nose for his trouble, went down and stayed down. To build the credibility, it's got to be a better caliber fighter, whoever it is, does it not?
3: Absolutely, yes, it has to be. Um, I think the next opponent—they've uh, they've talked, or Bob Aram has talked quite clearly and decisively—that they're looking at New York as the venue, Madison Square Garden. So one would anticipate it would be an American this time that can help to sell the show because it's a lot of onus on Fury as an attraction if he doesn't have an opponent to kind of fire off uh, and with some credibility to make people believe that it could be more of a contest. Um, because he can't keep repeating the Apollo Creed trick. He'll, he's going to he's going to need there to be an opponent or a fight to be had to keep selling, um, selling the show. Um, the, the, the Miller thing, to me, is disappointing. Fury's not without issues in the past with drug tests, etc. But Miller, as we know and as we've discussed quite candidly, has, um, has taken that to a whole new level. And it seems... Um, a pretty weak sanction that he's already being rehabilitated, if you'll pardon the expression, <laughs> uh, back back into the media spotlight as a, as a possible for October. Personally, and maybe it's it's uh, wishful thinking. I don't think he will be across the ring. I think there are one or two other options that they might look at. Um, the one that hasn't been mentioned yet. But I know he's, uh, he's a top-ranked fighter. Is Bright Jennings, who's got a um, interesting fight with another British guy in London next month, and then there may be prospects for Jennings being a Philadelphia fighter that, that maybe that's uh, cl- close enough to uh, New York, etc., for it to, to be sellable. Um, and if he can, if he was to come away with a very credible win away from home in, in England against uh, Joe Joyce, then he might be marketable as an opponent as an American. Guy who's big, fit and strong for Fury to tackle. So that's another name that's not really been mentioned, but one that I think might enter the sweepstakes in another few weeks if he was successful in London.
0: Voice of David Payne with me for a little while longer. Here it's the Big Fight Weekend podcast, and again, David uh, does a great job of giving us insight, in particular on British fighters and Tyson Fury, right in the wheelhouse of what we're looking at here uh, for the for the heavyweight picture. Okay, so kind of simultaneously, uh, we also have the looming. When is it going to get announced? Rematch of Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz, uh, Eddie Hearn, saying midweek this week that it's basically down to United States slash Madison Square Garden, or will it be at Wembley or Cardiff or another stadium in the UK? Uh, Well, I guess first, give me some insight if there is any. What do you hear? What do you believe about where the rematch uh, would be held here? And what do you make of it if it's Madison Square Garden to kind of, as Hearn was hinting, remove all the stains and all the stink off of it by by attaining victory in the same place where you lost?
3: Uh, I think the um, psychological aspects, the philosophical aspects to it are all interesting and make for good sound bites. but ultimately like most things in boxing, it's going to boil down to money. And the the most money that Ruiz could make presumably is still the American side. Um, So he's PBC Affiliated, so he's got powerful friends in high places on this side, on your side of the Atlantic, and I don't imagine Eddie Hearn's going to get everything his own way in regards to ideally having a, a London venue with eighty or a, sorry a Cardiff venue with eighty thousand fans right behind him, giving him a point or two start on the cards. Um, which <laughs> you know is something that goes down back through the centuries of boxing that the home advantage is is something that you would want um, but I think it's it's great credit to Joshua that he wants to go straight back for the rematch there might have been a temptation to to, to go sideways for a step and rebuild some confidence I think that's to his credit and it, but it comes with risk but I th- personally think the fight will take place in America um, so yeah the, the venues and so forth will fall out of that Uh, But DAZN want to keep that momentum going, don't they? They need to keep that momentum um, for their financial planning, from the money they've spent on Joshua, the money they've spent on Golovkin, the money they've spent on Canelo. They need those dates, and they need, ideally, to build the American audience rather than a British one, obviously. So Mm. I think the American side would be in the box seat, as they say, at this point in time.
0: And if I'm Ruiz, I'm still holding out for California, like you're talking about. And, I, you know, I know Mexico City may be a stretch, but that could be wild at Azteca Stadium with over 100000 or something like that. If they built it up, I don't know that they could get 100000 uh, that would care, but maybe they would. Uh, so let's just see. It's not announced yet. Uh, and and we wonder how cooperative is Ruiz going to be on venue and on money. After all, he's the champ right now Indeed. for I, the I, moment. I, we'll see. I,
3: that, that can't be forgotten. I think, as you say, the, Mex- the Mexico City thing is, again, another nice soundbite, evokes lots of memories for people of a certain generation, etc. But I think um, I would be astonished if uh, Joshua is willing to travel to Mexico City. Uh, I mean, we're, we're entering into Rocky Four Christmas Day in Moscow <laughs> territory. <laughs> I uh, cannot
0: picture him on the mountaintop going,
3: Ruiz! No, Ruiz! No i
0: can't picture it david
3: no yeah that's true and I, th- there can't be two people more different in aesthetic than dolph lundgren and andy ruiz <laughs> I, can <there>? but, uh,
0: <laughs> another image we're cracking but off the think, we're cracking yeah. off the one-liners so, so so realistically you think this is down to maybe california but probably new york and then secondarily the uk if i read you right
3: Yeah, one would think so. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't rule out the Vegas thing either. But yeah, from what Eddie Hearn has said, perhaps they're looking for uh, an East Coast thing, which slightly improves um, the palatable time for the UK audience, etc. But uh, yeah, almost certainly America. But you never know. You never know what, what, what might unfold.
0: All right. So a couple of more moments here with David Payne. I, I love the historical perspective with you and some big time anniversaries have been taking place. I want to focus on Roberto Duran, Manos de Piedra, the, the Panamanian uh, smaller weight champion of the 70s, the 80s, uh, that was such a fearsome fighter, the hands of stone. Uh, He's had a couple of anniversaries recently, one not so good in terms of memorable for him when Thomas Hearns absolutely starched him with a right hand in Las Vegas, speaking of Las Vegas, uh, in June of 1984, but he also has an anniversary at the time that we're talking Thursday is the anniversary of Roberto Duran's upset win over Sugar Ray Leonard. I was a young tyke. David Payne. I was a humongous Sugar Ray Leonard fan from the, uh, from the Olympics win in Montreal, all of his unbeaten, uh, wins. And then suddenly Roberto Duran derailed him in the brawl in Montreal, uh, in, in June of 1980 and, and handed Leonard his first ever loss. What a decorated career for Duran. So what do you want to say about his career, about these fights that have had some recent anniversaries?
3: Oh, it's a remarkable fighter. One of probably the most people's top half a dozen fighters across all the weights. Uh, An astonishing career. Such longevity. Um, which uh, And two, two pointers in that, really. Um, if you simplify boxing um, and the styles of fighters down to your boxers and your brawlers, um, which well, I'll come on to in my second point, is not necessarily always fair. Uh, and should be more nuanced, but it's rare for a fighter that comes forward like Duran does. That's an aggression first. That's about throwing lots of punches. That um, they don't tend to last and have that longevity. They tend to burn, a flame burns brightly for a while, but they don't tend to have that longevity in the same way that boxers can, who avoid punches better and can move around the ring and use use their their wits in that way. Um, so it's it's he's remarkable, doubly remarkable in that regard. But the second point of that is, which is kind of contradicts that, to some extent, is that he was a lot cuter than people perhaps give him credit for to the uninitiated. Um, tremendous entertainment, uh, ferocious, of course, particularly at lightweight. Um, but to underestimate his actual boxing skills, is, uh, it shouldn't be, you know, he shouldn't underestimate his boxing skills. Um, some of the craft and the guile that went into his work um, is not immediately obvious, uh, unless you've studied the game a little. Um, but to beat Sugar Ray Leonard over 15 rounds on points is as big a beacon as to how good a fighter and how good a boxer he was. Um, Leonard itself did obviously uh, summarised that he fought the wrong fight and he and he made the alterations required in the rematch. But um, yeah, that Duran could beat a peak Ray Leonard over 15 rounds on points says so much about um, what he was capable of. And then when, what he went on to do, still 10, 15 years later, with some very creditable, creditable performances a long way from his optimum weight, only adds to right. his legend.
0: How about this? I didn't realize this till I did the research. I was writing uh, the piece on the on the Hearns defeat. When he stepped through the ropes and fought Leonard in Montreal, venture a guess. I'm looking right at it. I'm just quizzing you. Uh, we won't deduct too much if you don't get it. What do you think Duran's record was when he stepped through the ropes and fought unbeaten Sugar Ray Leonard on uh, on June the 20th, 1980? You have a guess on how many wins he'd amassed at that point in
3: 1980? Cool. Well, yes, you're probably going to embarrass me now. Um, nope. I'm, go, I'm, high.
0: Go-, go high. Go high. I'm just giving you yeah, advice. I'm
3: going to say north of
0: 50. How about 72 and 1? He was 72 and 1 when he beat Leonard to make him 73 and 1. That, that's incredible to contemplate in the present day. Guys are never going to fight 50 times, much less in the prime of their career, have a 73 and 1 record. Uh, yeah. as, it's it's incredible the different eras of boxing, and I know one of the things you're a big fan of. I'm going to tee it up for you here is that Duran was willing to fight Leonard, was willing to fight Hearns, was willing to fight Hagler, and Hagler and Leonard and Hearns were all willing to fight each other and Duran, and that's what made the era so great, right?
3: It's yeah, it's in it's in the equality and it's in the um the chances they gave us to see them at their best against each other. We had a couple of two or three of those fights that were a little overripe by the time they got to the second or third versions. But <laughs> they they fought each other and we we were entertained and we were able to marvel at the things that they could do and they brought out the best in each other. And it's in that equality that the greatness is found. It's not in dominance over people you're expected to be. It's in finding people who are close to your level and stretching each other's uh, potential to the maximum. And that's what those... Uh, guys were able to do we mustn't forget Wilfred Briggs as as well of course um but yeah those a, fa- a fabulous era they gave so much of themselves um and the gate and, and, and we enjoyed it and lapped it up of course and we we long for those days a little bit don't we um, and but you don't you don't want to become one of those guys that always says it, it used to be better than it is now. We've got some fantastic fighters now, but that's the key difference. They simply don't fight each other enough, unfortunately.
0: Well, and in that day, we make the point repeatedly, almost to the point of banging your head against the wall. You had to make those big fights to make big money. The the mega fight for a million or a couple of million dollars. It required you to fight one of those other guys. Now. If you're Tyson Fury, just as an example, and you can step through the war- ropes with a Tom Schwartz and still make $20 million, what's the incentive? That's, that's kind of the point. And it's not just him. It's, it's any of these guys that are at the upper echelon where they can make 15 $20, 25000000 and not fight one of the titans in their weight division or one of the champions or one of the biggest names. That's part of the difference in the present day. Those are just the facts, because that's that's why guys were fighting 50, 60, 70 times. I mean, we did the, the one recap where Julio Cesar Chavez had won over 100 fights in his prime, 100 times in the ring in his prime. Speaking of Mexico and Mexican champions, uh, that's unheard of in the present day that somebody would fight 100 times. At times, Chavez was fighting eight or nine times a year For the course, David, of two or three years, fighting eight or nine times a year. So it's incredible
3: the frequency. It's it's, it's, it's remarkable. And as you say, we we, we talk about Fury and Joshua, and they become twice a year fighters very quickly. And there's a balance to be struck, of course. We have to realize that we have more knowledge about the damage that's been sustained by these by these chaps beating the hell out of each other and there's a a price they pay down the line but there's a balance to be struck of course um so that people like gary russell jr who fights once a year earns a couple of million dollars yeah 12 terence crawford fighting two or three times over two years it's simply not enough for us to muster much of an opinion about they're standing in the, the old time sphere uh, and they're already in their early 30s and, and you could argue they may be past their physical prime already and we still don't really know how good they are or could have been or will be. And I think that's a, that's a, that's a real crime that they may live to regret in later life. But also there's one or two of these guys that we're talking about who are already living with the, um, the regrets of fighting too much and the damage that they've received. So there's a balance to be struck somewhere. And I guess sometimes it's too far one way and sometimes it's too far the other and hopefully we'll find a happy medium soon.
0: Yeah, it's a a shame that, and speaking of the Hearns destruction of Duran in 1984, both guys fought more than a decade after that. They were fighting into the the middle of the 1990s, uh, believe it or not, uh, in their boxing careers, but it was quite the epic time. All right, anything else uh, on the horizon? I know we got a couple fight cards this weekend in the UK to pay attention to. Anything else on the brain of the boxing writer over in the UK before I let you go?
3: Uh, Well, just... upcoming in the next two or three weeks um as i mentioned earlier we've got joe joyce versus brian jennings um which is an interesting fight and then um we've got of course coming up in july we've got dillian white and oscar Rivas, which is a very competitive top 10 heavyweight fight and then we've got a great domestic dust up to daniel dubois and nathan Gorman. so there's a lot going on over in british shores in the heavyweight scene and i think um by the end of July, it will have heated up a little more. We may know a little bit more about Joshua's comeback. So there's going to be lots to talk about. Lots to talk about. And not that, that wilder uh, um, Fury rematch we were so frustrated about that hasn't happened. That's going to grow closer. It's getting closer already. You're starting to feel the tingle about that already. I don't know about you.
0: Let's hope that we see them sign on the dotted line and get that going. Uh, as the next fight for for Wilder after Ortiz, we will find out how that plays out. Again, read this man, boxingwriter.co.uk. Follow him on Twitter. He is a great follow with insight on the Sweet Science every weekend whenever the fights are going on at The Boxing Writer on social media. Did I get it all covered? My friend, I always love the insight here on the podcast
3: i think we covered everything yeah it's good it's good to be back on the uh, on the show and uh, hopefully we'll be speaking again soon
0: i have much love for david payne he joins me whenever and wherever i need, need him even when he's at the the movies in the united states or the cinema in london and he has to break off a phone call to talk about fights and boxing that's what we love about david payne david thank you have a good night
3: and you too tj
0: back in one more time and calling back in again. Going back to the bullpen to Marquise Johns, a lead writer, on BigFightWeekend.com. We've already had you on once during the podcast in our combined interview with Christina Poncher. That's a first on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. You and I uh, have yet to be a tag team, like in the old uh, WWF. You were my Iron Sheik. I was your Nikolai Volkov, I think, to go old-school WWF there, if anybody gets the reference, uh, on that interview. And and we enjoyed, by the way, talking to Christina Poncher. Did we not, Marquise?
4: That was absolutely fun talking to Christina. And by the way, if, if, if I'm Iron Sheik... <laughs> Camel clutch make you humble,
0: <laughs> and who's class- Classy Freddie Blassie with the cane. I'll wrap you with my cane, you pencil neck geek. So. <laughs> But in any event, before we totally digress, uh, I, I, good for her that she's only the second female to ever be doing uh, TV play-by-play at the network level of uh, of men's boxing uh, and, and carving a niche out. And, and she has really worked her way up, as she described, over the last nine years of doing things with Top Rank and now with ESPN. So much love to her. And she's got an infant boy on top of this. We're kind of pulling the curtain back a little bit that we had to do the interview and not wake the little guy up while he was taking a nap. (laughs) Uh, So good on Christina all the way around. There was some boxing insight. Uh, And I guess, Marquise, uh, we can speak a little more freely now. She obviously works for top rank and by extension for ESPN. But here we are now, you and I. Uh, the Fury fight, I I was just talking with David Payne before you've come back on. I I would love to lie to people and tell you that that was competitive. That was in no way, shape, or form a competitive fight, Marquise. We can't lie to the audience.
4: No, with that fight, not a chance. And my question to you with this fight, TJ, more than anything else, because let's be honest, it was a, it was a kind of a farce and coming up with, in regards to who, who's people are still trying to figure out who Suarez is. And now they they know all about him at this point is that he got knocked out in the second round. To a guy who came in Rocky gear, but my question to you, TJ, is who came out? Who came out to the better Rocky Four gimmick for uh, out, of, out of these heavyweights? Deontay Water threatening to, uh, if he dies, he dies to Brazil, or or Fury coming out all Apollo Creed with the music and everything else.
0: I, I thought it was a grander entrance by Fury, but certainly a more devastating knockout about a more competent opponent. Uh, by the bronze bomber and and look his his ring walk it wasn't that long of a ring walk at the barclays center but he he had on like the mask and he and he also had on like the statue of liberty uh crown and the whole thing for fighting in new york so it was definitely different and now he's got to got to look to up his game um the one thing that i will say too and look i'm a broadcaster uh, Marquise, you've done you've dabbled in some radio and some broadcasts, and I've done a lot of play-by-play. I know I'm saying a lot of I and me here. And there yeah. are there are occasions when you have to sell whatever it is that you're doing from a marketing standpoint on the broadcast. You're the announcer, you're the mouthpiece, you're the PR guy. But the ESPN announcers with Joe Testator, Timothy Bradley, and Andre Ward on the play-by-play call. I think overselling it is like an understatement. I mean, these guys were everything short of being on the side of the road with a neon sign and a bullhorn <laughs> trying to sell Tyson Fury as, oh, what a great showman heavyweight. What a show he's put on. Oh, this is uh, this is something the heavyweight division needs. And uh, it was just, to me, over the top. Marquise, what
4: about you? It was, and I, I will give ESPN the one benefit of the doubt, only because they're talking boxing, because they spent all week, at this point, drilling this fight in our heads. Right. Even down to the, the two and a two-and-a-half-hour a two weigh-in. I was at the Edo Herring weigh-in with uh, DJ and it didn't take two hours. So <laughs> they had that going on. They had between that as well as with the Fury fight, The not, not the weigh-in itself, but just the whole... The whole selling of the fight itself, became, it kind of became like a bad infomercial at one point where it became a little nauseating, I must admit. And ESPN had to have been kicking themselves on the small end of this because around the same time that this fight card started, TJ, as you well know, the NBA side of things, Anthony, Anthony Davis got traded to the Lakers, and we know how ESPN loves talking oh, yeah. about Laker basketball. Oh,
0: no doubt. And
4: they, and they couldn't just flip the switch and be like, we interrupt this broadcast because we had a fight card out of Vegas. So yeah. i well, sure but had-
0: but I mean, look, I understand that that it was a big night, but the guy he's fighting was basically inept and they kept What's showing the the viral uh video of him ducking the punches uh like he's like he's Neo in the Matrix <laughs> in the first round of the fight, uh and it may have even been the second round of the fight, but uh, I mean, it's not like he was facing uh, Ali, Tyson, Lennox, Lewis, or somebody like that, ducking those punches. So, look, I, I realize they've hitched their wagon, if you will, good Southern phrase, to top rank and to Bob Arum, and they they have to sell Tyson Fury because, by extension, he's the big draw right now for top rank to the tune of an eighty million dollar deal, four fight deal. So they're selling it big time for that reason. It just seemed like it was forced. I mean, on a, on a scale of one to ten, it was a seventeen on on forcing Tyson Fury uh, at us. Let me see it against a more credible fighter. Let me see, let me see that spectacular knockout against a credible fighter. That's all I'm saying. I agree
4: with you me? in regards to actual competition for him because the, the one problem that I had with the fight, more than anything else, and I was mentioning it even with folks on the, on Twitter. If you follow me at Week Sauce Radio, even before the fight, when they were pre-leading this fight, TJ. The only footage they had of of Fury's opponent Tom Suarez was the same three clips that we all had on YouTube, and you would think they would have something <laughs> tape in the same that we all could have as public record. I mean, I'm not in the gym hanging with these guys figuring out if they, if they were working. Well, these if the things guy things is out. if the
0: guy is figuratively in the boxing witness protection program, there cannot be that much video. He'd only fought outside of Germany <laughs> twice in his entire life. So, all right, so that's come and gone. Uh, David Payne has said to us. That uh, that Fury may not be fighting Jarrell Miller, and there are a host of fighters. He he mentioned the top-ranked name Bryant Jennings as a fighter that may uh, get in the mix for Fury uh, here. If it is Madison Square Garden, Jennings is is fighting. I believe it is next month, uh, and could still be shoehorned in for October if that's the case. So, do I mean, again, you've you've been watching, you've been monitoring this. Do we suspect it's going to be Madison Square Garden? Or might he stay West Coast, Vegas, Staples Center, something like that? Or is he coming east? What's your speculation?
4: I figured it would put Tyson Fury to, go to try to promote him into the U.S. as much as possible. Madison Square Garden sounds like the place that everyone wants to go now, all of a sudden, from overseas to, to, to box again, which is cool. And I'm more intrigued on who is he actually going to fight in terms of, a legitimate contender. I, I, I know we had, we had Christina on early and she mentioned the, the same thing that I mentioned earlier with hearing about uh, uh, Pulev, which I think would be the fight that would make the most sense out of all of these. I mean, Jarrell Miller. I mean, we're, we're really, he, right. he can't, he, we, who knows if he can be, a I can't, you know, I'll say it, state. I'll say it
0: even more plain. I can't believe he would get licensed for anything in this calendar year after flunking the three drug tests, uh, especially in New York. I, I, I mean, if you're going to go back to Madison Square, New York's not going to license the guy. So what are we talking about here? Let's move on from him uh, to somebody else and and see what Fury um, ends up with. Um, All right, so I I also talked with David about the Garden, and is that the logical landing spot for the Joshua Ruiz fight? We'll plug away that you've been writing about this on BigFightWeekend.com. Gauge it for me. Is it like a 50% chance, a 75% chance that they're going to come back to the same location and do Ruiz and Joshua too, back at MSG. It's
4: looking like it's fifty the, fifty. The goal with all of this is Hearn is put Eddie, promote matchbox promoter Eddie Hearn is putting this back on Anthony Joshua and where he wants to have this this rematch fight take place. Joshua mentioned that he wants to redeem himself and you know rewrite history back at the Garden. You know, similar you said to you know the first fight before he got knocked out. So if that doesn't happen, more than likely it will be either at Wembley where they sit about eighty thousand Brits, or at Cardiff where they sit about ninety thousand Brits as well <laughs> to, to, for another home game for Joshua in and a and quest for him to get his belts back from Anthony Louise. I'm more intrigued if the, if this fight actually is in the states because I'm. They, there was a report earlier this week about the the the, the, the amount of viewers out in the UK do that, that stayed up at four o'clock in the morning to watch Anthony Joshua fight and. TJ, as you know, we're in the states. The only thing on right. at four o'clock in the morning here is paid programming and Law and Order SVU reruns. <laughs> so I don't fault them for being—I don't fault them for not being awake to catch this, and they missed the upset. For, and they missed the upset of the ages. So I'll be really surprised if they don't just back up the brain for Andy Ruiz. Because at this point, the only thing I'm hearing from Andy Ruiz is that he wants a lot of money. I mean, you're hearing the, the but if the you're him, rep-
0: on that point, why w- w- you're the champ? Why go fight him in the UK? And I might, what's a few million dollars among friends? I would take a few yeah. million dollars less and fight him in New York. I would, I would almost be demanding, I'm not fighting you in a rematch in the UK. We'll settle on the Garden again. But he could be a real stickler and say, let's fight in California. Let's fight at Staples Center. Let's fight, and maybe they do it outside. What if, what if we were to fight hypothetically at the LA Coliseum? Or if we were to fight at the Rose Bowl, for example, or something. I'm just throwing that out there. But if you're, if you're Ruiz, why, uh, you know, David, David said to us, I keep making reference to his interview, you're Ruiz, you're already behind on the scorecards. As soon as, as soon as Joshua starts the ring walk at Wembley Stadium, you're already behind a round or two on the cards. Why would you agree to go fight him there? Make, make a stand as the champ now that you are, that this fight has to be in the United States.
4: It would make sense. I'm more intrigued on what they signed paperwork-wise, and if, if if they have to break the contract, because you hear that that craziness going on as well. If Ruiz, if Ruiz has set foot and, and steadfast on fighting in the states, then it will have to be at Madison Square Garden. Pretty much, that's the only fight sites we're giving location-wise. If it, I would like to see if they were able to pull something off. Like he mentioned Mexico before after the fight initially, and I would be really intrigued if they can pull this off in Mexico City. You mentioned a big open location like that as well. Right, that would be make more sense to me than him trying to fly over, fly over the wall ocean and uh, be greeted again to essentially the same hostile crowd at at ten times the rate that he had at Madison Square Garden for the same fight.
0: Voice of Marquise Johns, he's with me for a few more minutes uh, here on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Okay, uh, I'm looking. I've got my binoculars out. I'm trying to find quality fight for this weekend. We know We know ESPN does not have a big show. DAZN has a couple of shows. The Andrew Cancio, Alberto Machado uh, junior lightweight title fight is the main event Saturday night in California. Speaking of California, on DAZN. The mm-hmm. Fox card, the PBC card, was supposed to be uh, Charlo against Tony Harrison in the rematch after Harrison got the controversial decision win last December. But now, as it turns out, uh, Charlo has got to go another route here uh, in this one. Jermel Charlo fighting Jorge Cota, another contender, in a 12-round non-title fight. Is that that's the most uh, noteworthy fight really of the weekend here or what What do you think Marquise?
4: I think it is by default and mainly because it's the best fight option this weekend available. I will admit that this Charlo card looked a lot better on paper of course being Charlo Harrison too. Uh, unfortunately Harrison got injured while training when we'll have to see that rematch at another time which will probably be on the list of most anticipated rematches towards the end of this year as you well know TJ but in the meantime, we get Jorge Cota, who is coming off a, a tough loss to Jelson Rosario on the uh, Danny Garcia, Adrian Granados card. And it's essentially now for Cota an opportunity. If he is able to pull up the upside and upset here and beat Charlo, they're promising him opportunity at Harrison. Whenever it he helps, of Harrison gets back to healthy. Right. And so so that's. If there's nothing more so motivating than a title shot. He's a
0: 3-week replacement. Ruiz was a 5-week replacement. So this is a 3-week replacement and Jermel Charlo was obviously derailed uh, as an unbeaten fighter when Harrison beat him the other night and this could really derail him. How careful does he have to be because Jermel Charlo does not have huge knockout power. He's got 15 KOs and 31 wins. Coda, by the way, for what it's worth, 21 knockouts in 25 wins. How do, how risky is this for Jamel Charlo here with an opponent on three weeks' notice?
4: For Charlo, this is going to be a tough fight in regards to he, him having to prepare for a, a totally different fight now at this point. I'm looking for in regards to Coda to see what version of Kota is going to show up. Is it the one that lost to Rosaro, that pretty much lost... It was a narrow loss, but it was a loss that wasn't that spectacular in fight fashion. And for Charlo if Charlo surprisingly has to make a statement because this is the fight he didn't want and now he has to have it in order to fight Harrison again, so I'm willing to see who's more inspired time-wise to see who wants to rematch Harrison first on Sunday, and that... Honestly, TJ, is probably the best fight we have going on this weekend out of less of these fights.
0: So again, that's the Fox PBC show in Las Vegas. And again, as Christina was mentioning, they'll be in Temecula, California on ESPN Plus and ESPN Friday night. Next Friday night, June twenty eighth, for Comey Beltran, Richard Comey's IBF lightweight title that will be on the line for that one and that main event, but you gotta wait till next weekend for that. All right, I think we have sufficiently covered it. By the way, let's plug away one more time for bigfightweekend.com, whether it's news, previews, Marquise is on it, and we've even we've got some great historical fights. Uh, for this week, I know I was talking to David about Roberto Duran, uh, that last week was the anniversary of Thomas Hearns plastering him with the big right hand. But this week, you've been writing about the uh, the anniversary, uh, my God, it's almost 40 years ago now. I cannot believe that, that Duran handed Sugar Ray Leonard his first ever loss, the brawl in Montreal, his first professional loss, Duran 15-round decision, Roberto Duran, a famous guy. We, we've we been writing about the historical fa- fighters. You you cannot write the lighter weight fighter history of the 70s and the 80s without writing about
4: Roberto Duran. No, you cannot. And the hands of Stone was a force to re-reckon with. And the fact <laughs> that he gave that he gave Leonard his first loss in that, that fight out in the Montreal Olympic Stadium is one of the most impressive fights I've seen in a long time, uh, just looking back on it while well, I'm writing for it. For BigFightWeekend.com, the, the, your source of all, all things past, present, and future Check us out there. Uh, also, you can follow me as always on Twitter. I'm you talking boxing to somebody somehow, somewhere at Weak Sauce Radio, all one word. The best Twitter handle, pound for pound. I <laughs> challenge anybody.
0: <laughs> I laugh every time. Weak Sauce Radio and Marquise, <laughs> again, deserves a lot of credit. Because he will be tweeting and and live updating like uh, obscure fight cards and fights while they're going on during the day. Like uh, on on Friday during the day, there is going to be some action uh, that's going to be taking place, and you're going to keep track of it uh, wherever it is. London's got a a, a fight card on zone on uh, on Friday. Connor Ben and U C Kovalu are fighting, and somehow I think Weak Sauce Radio. On Twitter, will be tweeting something about that card potentially, perhaps uh, uh, coming on uh, on Saturday afternoon. So uh, we'll see. We'll we'll see about these fights this weekend. We'll see if Jermell Charlo gets a big win or or not in that uh, Fox PBC main event that is coming on Sunday night. Marquise, I love it. A- always great to talk with you. Always great to be with you. Keep knocking them dead on BigFightWeekend.com
4: always tj and before i do go i want to give you a heads up because you mentioned random fight cards mtk fight night I mentioned out of london speaking of the devil uh they have fight cards out in uh belfast and glasgow on friday and saturday i'll probably be watching those as well as you yeah, Stephen, on what zone. is it
0: steve i'm looking at it steven ward and liam conroy light heavyweights from belfast friday afternoon u.s time yeah. And somehow my man weak sauce radio marquise johns will be all over that marquise thank you i i always appreciate it keep up the great work this weekend thank you dj and we thank christina poncher for being with us earlier in the podcast from espn and top rank we also thank david payne the boxing writer for hanging out on the podcast enjoy the fights this weekend i'm tj reeves and again keep it locked in to bigfightweekend.com and the big fight weekend podcast bye